Hello and welcome to all our radio entrepreneurs, listeners, and viewers. I'm producer Nathan Gobes and excited to introduce you to part two of the legal panel discussion for the record. In this spring edition of the panel discussion, which we've broken into three parts, we'll be top covering topics related to coronavirus and the return to work, the importance of business agreements, family business, and the impact of divorces and prenups, and much more. This episode is part two of three, and in this portion, we will be focusing on the second of these topics, the importance of business agreements. If you have not yet seen part one of this panel discussion, we recommend you head over to radioentrepreneurs.com or many of our other channels to catch the first segment where we discuss coronavirus and the return to work. All of these discussions are intended to be highly relevant to business owners of all types, so be sure to check out Radio Entrepreneurs on LinkedIn, YouTube, Spotify, iTunes, Facebook, or any of the many other platforms we stream on to catch the third segment as it goes live later. Next, I'll quickly introduce our three panelists and the host for this discussion. For their full introductions, please refer back to episode one, which is linked in the description below. We're joined today by Mark Furman, director at Tarla Breed Hart & Rogers, Mark Swetchkenbaum, president of Mark Z Legal Staffing, and Melissa E. Sidney, partner at Tarla Breed Hart & Rogers. Welcome, Mark, Mark, and Melissa. Hi, Nathan. Thank you, Nathan. Nice to be with you. And of course, last but not least, a man who needs no introduction, Radio Entrepreneur's host and founder of Mage LLC, Jeffrey Davis. Welcome, Jeff, and I'll hand the conversation over to you. Thank you very much. And as most people call me, the caboose in this team of stars. Uh, well, first of all, when I think of Mark Furman, I think of the movie, you know, The Thousand-Year-Old Man, The Thousand-Year-Old Attorney. And probably the most common uh, comment Mark has made to me over the years, I'm going to show everybody's age, is I would tell him stories about business and he would look at me and go, Hogan. So, uh, you know, the most common complaint he's talked to me about in doing that over the years have been about legal agreements for owners and the casualness of doing legal agreements. Uh, and I'm wondering uh, what kind of agreements now that we've had COVID, is it important for owners to be looking at to have in place moving forward with their businesses? And maybe I'll start that with you, Mark. Okay. Thank you, Jeffrey. Nice to be with you. Um, yes, absolutely. Uh, people don't have the agreements they need to have. If you have a partner, you need to have a partnership agreement, shareholder agreement, operating agreement. If you're doing business with customers, you need to have agreements because you're, imagine if something goes wrong, would you want to give up the right to recover 99% of your damages, to limit your damages. If you are in Massachusetts, do you want to have to litigate in California, applying California law, thereby driving your legal costs up? Everybody views agreements as they're just boilerplate. They're, they're, as long as everything goes well, I suppose you could say they are, but you got to ask the question, what happens if things don't work out? Do I want to give up 99% of my rights? And uh, so in the employment area, you know, you hear uh, somebody talked to me recently about, uh, uh, you know, they were being disparaged. Well, they had just signed an agreement that didn't uh, prevent them from being disparaged unless they were defamed, which would mean they'd get to bring a lawsuit that would go on for three years at enormous expense. Far better to pay attention to what the agreement says before you sign it. 
you know, companies have these terms and conditions, and then the company they do business with has their terms and conditions. Which one controls? There are rules about that. Nobody pays any attention to it. And then when uh, it hits the fan, that's when it comes across my desk and we fight about what the agreement is. So they're really important. They're not casual. And boilerplate is a four-letter word that gets business owners in trouble. To add to what Mark is saying, I think when you have these agreements, they should also be drafted by an attorney. I had a client just before our discussion send me something that he drafted to deal with non-solicitation of employees by departing employees. And it barely addressed the issue in a way that would be legally sufficient. So owners should be aware that um, when they draft agreements themselves, they're doing it at uh, a potentially very high cost to themselves. That's I, right. I, if, if I could just follow up, I had a very sophisticated client. He owned 30 businesses and was buying two more. And he had done it so many times that he just used forms from other agreements without involving a lawyer. So that the, the, this, these agreements said one kind of dispute would be decided in Florida or a particular uh, circuit court and another dispute would be decided at the American Arbitration Association and a third dispute would be decided in the state and federal courts of a town in Massachusetts that had neither a state nor a federal court. It was one deal with three documents and three different decisions as to what law is gonna apply and where it's gonna apply. Does that make any sense? And the end result was to resolve the problem, it cost the client a hundred times more than it would have in order to, uh, to have hired a lawyer, had a cohesive set of agreements. Well, it may have been a thousand times more. It may have been more than a thousand times more. Well, I'm gonna make a comment about what Melissa said and then I'm gonna ask a next question uh, which relates to what you're saying, Mark, if you don't mind, guys. Uh, uh, you know, I understand that attorneys are business advisors at the same time. But what really gets scary is when people like me who are on projects and retainers with companies as management consultants are asked to look at legal agreements. And I always tell my clients, I only play an attorney on TV. I'm not your attorney. You've got, we've got to get proper counsel to look at this. And they're like, well, you're on retainer, Jeffrey. And so we'd prefer that you look at it. And I'll go, I'll look at it, but I'm not an attorney. And attorneys write these things, and I'm not up on the law. So I, I asked this, the, I'm going to touch uh, your point, Mark, which really bothers me. And if you don't have agreements written properly, I have a client that's probably going to lose their whole company because of a bad operating agreement. And that happens too, right? Where somebody writes an agreement and people just in the beginning, the honeymoon phase, I love you. Let's just sign it. Let's get to work. Let's go make money. And then when things start to break down in the marriage, there's not a mechanism to resolve any issues other than 
litigation and breaking up the firm. And that's sad because it's hard to make a good company. Yes. If, if I could just add to what you're saying, even if things still continue to work well, um, we had a situation where someone called us recently. They had a great working relationship with their partner and they and their partner had an oral agreement to something and then the partner died unexpectedly. And now you're relying on the family to go along with whatever was agreed to orally, which is different than what's in the actual agreement or in an agreement that hasn't been signed. So um, it's important to have these agreements for a variety of situations and not only for the divorce context, the business divorce context. Well, also promises sometimes that employers make to employees mm -hmm. that are oral about incentives. And then it's like, I don't remember that. I mean, things have to be written. Isn't that correct to all three of you? If something is being promised or expected, it should be on paper, correct? Correct. Now we always, for example, starting with an offer letter and then, and then obviously what the um, um, incentive packages are, everything has to be um, in writing. And then obviously if there's a partnership, there's a partnership agreement involved. I just wanted to say with uh, Mark and Melissa, the um, agreements, particularly during this pandemic have been crucial to us, particularly on contract agreements when we're doing project work, um, vendor agreements, um, um, just software agreements that are being um, um, put forth to us that having people sign and continual fee agreements because of the different type of projects um, and placements being made. So I think particularly um, when um, the parties are not together and everybody's more technology driven by agreements made um, on, if it's not on an email made orally, you really need to, to um, uh, crystallize. And as, as you said, Jeff, ironically, I thank goodness that I have a, um, a legal degree, but, and I'm constantly asked advice. And I always say, um, I am an attorney and I went to law school, but I no longer practice law. You need to talk to an attorney like Mark for a minute, Melissa Sidney, or one of their designated attorneys that knows the current law because the law changes so much in so many areas so quickly. So again, I'm, maybe this is directed at Melissa, and if I'm wrong, attack me. Uh, again, because I've seen some of these agreements that are bad, and I agree with Mark, they have to be written. What are some of the most common mistakes made in drafting? Because that's probably a big issue as well, and the clients don't always notice. I would say internal consistencies is an issue, especially like in Mark's situation where there was a client who drafted the documents themselves. They're thinking about things that are different from what a lawyer would think about. Um, another thing is the practicality of whatever is in the agreement. And Jeffrey, that's where you probably serve a really important role when clients do ask you to review their agreements. Although you can't comment on the legal aspect, you can talk about how things have worked out and experiences that you have seen in the past. But I would say from my perspective, that's probably the two most important things to consider. Well, I, I agree with you. When I'm looking at them, I just look at it from the business practicality standpoint, functioning of the business. But then I always say, these are just my business opinions. They're not legal opinions and you need to check them out. But I, I see, um, an astonishing number of uh, 
disputes between co-owners where no agreement ever got signed. And because it, for whatever reason, I mean, sometimes it's, it's an issue of money at the beginning and they never get around to it. Sometimes it's an issue of conflict avoidance because if you're really gonna be helpful to the company, you have to ask questions around what happens if uh, circumstances change, one of the partners becomes dramatically more productive or less productive. And is there a feeling that not everybody is pulling their weight? And um, what happens with uh, uh, death or disability? Uh, you know, these kinds of things that are adult conversations that you have to have to get something that's fair in the best interests of the business. So, uh, you know, but it's amazing to me the size of the businesses that never get to the point where they have an operating agreement or, or a shareholder agreement. You'd think it would be pretty uncommon. It, it's not. Um, Mark, do you have anything else to add to this before Nathan jumps in on us? Well, all I can say is, as, as Mark would say, agreements are from the, from the time you, you start a deal, um, you've got to talk about what are the key elements that you want in an agreement because you need something drafted because we just find things are constantly going back to the agreement, whether it's a project, whether it's a placement, whether it deals with particular circumstances, the work the attorney's doing. So... Totally well, agree. Well, again, I uh, agreements in terms of our first section, what are the rules? I think things have to be documented for people coming back to work, not coming back to work. What are the rules? Uh, again, I'm seeing this year a couple of companies potentially break up due to what I would call COVID uh, fighting within the company and the operating agreements are not clear. And these very profitable firms are going to be dismantled and there's no guarantee that they're going to resurrect themselves in a new entity. You know, magic doesn't always happen twice. So uh, I think it's very important that people realize the investment they make in these proper structures are the foundation of a business, no different than the foundation of a home. So Nathan? Yeah, thank you, Jeffrey. Uh, another very interesting conversation uh, and important topics related to business agreements that I think all business owners uh, should be paying attention to, and, and many are likely not. But this wraps up part two of this spring edition of the legal show panel discussion for the record. Thank you to all our listeners and viewers who have tuned in for the second segment on Radio Entrepreneurs. Links will be provided in the video's description below to part one if you didn't already hear it and part three of the discussion as it goes live. So be sure to check out those links and click subscribe to the video uh, if you're on YouTube or follow if you are listening on one of our podcast platforms. Uh, stay up to date on all of our postings. Radio Entrepreneurs is also highly active on LinkedIn, so be sure to follow our page there as well as uh, so you can get more business advice and discussions. Until next time, goodbye and thanks for listening. We'll be back with more stories on Radio Entrepreneurs.